Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, uh, folks. Uh, welcome to Season 4 of uh, Wisdom of Friends. I'm your host, Cal Ross. And today I'm really excited and delighted to be introducing you to a good friend of mine, Dave Schwenson. Dave is the author of How to Be a Working Comic, Comedies Frequently Asked Questions and Answers, and Comedy Workshop, Creating and Writing Comedy Material for Comedians and Humorous Speakers. With the improv in Hollywood and New York, Dave has coordinated talent showcases and auditions for major television shows and network and film studios. Included in this list are The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Late Night with David Letterman, The Today Show, The Montreal Just for Laughs, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, HBO, Showtime and more. Dave is also a former manager of the Cleveland Improv Comedy Club and Restaurant. He has worked in the comedy industry for almost three decades, and he has extensive experience with the New York, Hollywood, and Midwest regions as a college and corporate booking agent. As a trainer and a keynote speaker on communication skills, Dave presents You Are Talking But Is Anyone Really Listening for conferences, businesses, schools, and special interest groups. Dave also teaches the skills to students grades 6 to 12, colleges and universities via video conference through the Center for Interactive Learning and Collaboration. Friends, this is a fascinating conversation where Dave talks about what does it really take to be a working comic? How do how does the stand-up business really work? And much more. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Dave Schwenton. Good evening, uh, Dave. Welcome to the season four of uh, Wisdom of Friendship. I'm really excited that you took some time to be on this program. And let me start off with my first impressions of you. And this was uh, almost 12 years ago when I first met you and I enrolled uh, into your uh, comedy workshop that you were offering in Cleveland. And I must tell you that it was one of uh, one of my wonderful experiences of life because what that class did for me was that you know, you really created this environment, which was fun loving. And, you know, we really were able to dig into our inner funny and bring it out. And, uh, and at the end of the, if I remember correctly, at the end of the workshop, we were uh, asked to bring, invite our friends and family to come and actually perform us live at the Cleveland Comedy Club. And, you know, that was a game changer for me because, uh you know, when it came to public speaking and professional speaking, I think that is one of the experiences I draw upon uh, to really give me the confidence that, you know, it is anything is possible. And uh, and so I just want to thank you for that. And uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. And when you say this was uh, about 12 years ago, so we are talking when we were still teenagers, correct? <laughs> That's correct. Okay. I want, to make, yes. I want to clarify that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's good to talk with you again, Cal. It's been a while. But uh, yes. Great. Excellent. And uh, so, Dave, one of the ways uh, we kick off our show is uh, with a very simple and a profound question of our guest. And that is, 
What is your favorite quote or philosophy that you live by, and how have you applied it to your life? Well, uh, first of all, <laughs> philosophy in my life was uh, uh, hell on earth would be having a job you hate. So I always avoided that at all costs. And uh, just really wanted to do something different. I wanted to live life to the fullest, you know. And uh, to me, it was the entertainment industry. And um, I just pursued that. I mean, I graduated college, got my degree in business, and I wanted to be in show business. And for me, uh, growing up in, in northern Ohio, outside Cleveland, uh, show business to me was New York City. So I took off right after college to find my way. Now, that is so great. And and just for the benefit of the audience, uh, Dave Schwenson is uh, is an author of How to Be a Working Comic and, uh, and he's written many other books. And we'll kind of get into that during the show here. But his credits include talent coordinator for the television show A&E's and Evening at the Improv and the Hollywood and the New York City Improv Comedy Clubs. And uh, he also is a former manager of the Cleveland, Cleveland Improv Comedy Club and Restaurant. So, Dave, uh, what I'm curious about is, how did this journey began for you in the sense that uh, did you, uh, like when you went to college, you said you had a fascination for the show business. So was there a moment in your life that you discovered that this is something that I really want to pursue? And, you know, and the reason I ask this is oftentimes we get this question from our audiences that how do we know what's a calling? How do we know what our passion is? And so what what was your story like? And if you could share with us, that would be great. Well, you know, I always had an interest in entertainment. I mean, that's to me, music, comedy, those sort of things. And like I said, I went to college uh, just because it's something, I guess, I had to do, of course, go to college. My parents wanted me to go. And I um, actually got accepted to law school. A lot of people don't know that. And I took the LSATs. I was going to go to law school. And I went to the school, which I'm not going to mention. But uh, I went there and uh, kind of met with people. I went outside and I stood there. And I said, there's no way. There's no way I'm going back to class. I'm done. Done with this. And uh, I just made that decision out of the uh, clear blue sky. I guess it had been in the back of my head for some time. I was going to New York City. I was just going to go. Uh, I was fortunate when I was younger because my cousin, Mimi Schwenson, was Rockette at Radio City Music Hall. So I'd spent some time in New York. We used to go see her three, four times a year. I'd go to Radio City, sit in the front row, watch the Rockettes do the big kicks, and then hang around backstage. Uh, I just wanted to do that. So uh, really, all my friends, everyone said, you're crazy. This is nuts. Where'd you get this idea? And I loaded up my little station wagon I had. And uh, I moved to New York City. I didn't know anyone. My cousin was gone by that time. Uh, I didn't know anyone. And I just was driven to do this. And uh, there were actually, I had some relatives way out in Long Island I hadn't seen since I was about 12 years old. Uh, but I would take the Long Island Railroad into Manhattan. I'd buy a copy of The Village Voice and I'd look for apartments. And I wandered around the city for like three days. And I was just about ready to go up. I was heading back to the subway station to take a train out to Long Island and just give it in, come back to Ohio and just be normal. And I walked by a place that had apartments for rent, um, renovated, beautiful. The price was my price range, I thought. <laughs> and so I went in and I signed a lease and took an apartment and uh, found my way from there. So it is, I guess, an interesting story now that I'm saying it out loud. Uh, but I lived there for 13 and a half years in Manhattan, in the Gramercy Park area, a very nice area. I really lucked out. And, um, yeah, I was just driven to do it. 
No, that is so great. And and what I'm curious about, Dave, is uh, so you said you grew up in Ohio. So what did your parents do, and how did that shape your life? Uh, well, my parents, my family, actually ran a bakery called Schwenson Bakery for 101 years. Uh, and uh, it was my grandfather's oldest brother, then my grandfather, then my parents. And I started working there when I was 10 years old, slicing bread and sweeping floors, washing pans. And uh, it was a great environment for me to grow up in, working with my family. Uh, we were always very close. Uh, they had great senses of humor. We laughed a lot. <laughs> and of course, I always quit every day because I said, I'm not doing this anymore. The next day I'd be back. Um, but, you know, I, I think what I learned from them is I just, I, I actually, I just wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to run my own thing. Uh, is what it is. I've just been driven for that. I've, and I've been lucky in my career, everything I've done in the in the comedy industry and as an author and everything, I've really been left alone, which is nice. Uh, I don't know how to put this. I've been given a lot of responsibility by some very important people, and they knew I could handle it. And so, uh, you know, for instance, uh, when I was uh, running clubs in New York City, uh, the owners always had complete trust in me. So they would go. They would take a vacation. They'd move out of town and everything else. And I really never, never really had to answer to anybody, which uh, I, I attribute that to my upbringing. Now, that is so great. So it seems like... Uh it, there is this sense of a work ethic and taking personal responsibility that really played a big factor in your success. And just for the benefit of the audience, uh, Dave has coordinated talent showcases and auditions from major television shows, including uh, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, uh, Late Night with David Letterman. He's also a trainer and a keynote speaker on communication skills and also teaches uh, these exact skills, comedy and communication to students, grades 6 and 12, and uh, 6 to 12, excuse me. And, and so yeah. my question to you, Dave, is uh, when you look back at you, so walk us through that journey from New York City. So you went to New York City, you leased an apartment. Yes. So when you look back at that life, and you made it all the way to this successful career here, so when you look back at your life up until now, what would you say was that breakthrough success moment for you? Uh, and what I mean by that, by that is a turning point or, you know, life was never the same again moment. Uh, you know what? Because uh, when I first went to New York, my idea of show business was more acting and music. So I spent the first few years doing that. I, I took acting courses. My acting coach was the very famous, legendary uh, Lee Strasberg. Mm. I, I went down to his institute, and I auditioned, and I got in, in his class with him personally. Uh, and I remember I was the youngest one there. And uh, the people who were in my class with me were professional actors. They were working on Broadway. They were doing movies. They were doing commercials, soap operas. And they really uh, showed me the ropes of the entertainment business, the business side of it. Um, and through them, I started getting work on soap operas and commercials and really bad off, off, off Broadway shows. <laughs> uh, but I also, you know, I've been a musician my, my entire life. And so I started playing music down in the village in New York city and, uh, various, uh, like partnerships, you know, like a duo or a three piece band or a five piece band, whatever it would be. And, uh, you know, I really want to say for about a year there, I made my living as a musician uh, we were performing just about every night, and you know we weren't making a lot of money, but at least I got to take cabs instead of subways. And uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but I guess a big turning point to what I do now uh, happened uh, when I was playing on my neighborhood softball team. Uh, 
we uh, there was a neighborhood restaurant. Actually, I was the manager of this restaurant because you know you have to have day jobs then too. Right? We moved back and forth into different things, so I was managing a very nice bar restaurant, and we had a softball team. And my all my buddies, my best friends in the world, you know, were in the neighborhood, and we had this team together. The the restaurant sponsored us, and you know our playing field was a blacktop. So that's what it was like in New York City. You played on a blacktop, and the bases were painted on it. First thing you learned was not to slide. And uh, <laughs> I was in this. I was playing center field, and, and guy who now is truly one of my closest friends in the world. But I was just getting to know him at that time. He was the right fielder, and we would stand out in the outfield and talk. And he was a stand-up comedian. I'm like, what are you talking about, comedian? What do, What do you mean? And he says, yeah. He says, uh, well, you know, he says, and I was doing some really, you know, lousy plays at that time, auditioning for things, and. He says, well, you know how when you meet a casting person and they say, hey, we really like you. Call us when you're in something. Okay, that's pretty standard for the business. Well, that would mean like you take months of like auditioning till you get something. Then you take months of rehearsing till you open up. And then when you call this casting person or agent back, they don't remember you because they've seen a thousand people since. Hmm. He, says, he said with him doing stand-up comedy, if someone asks, when can I see you in something? He'll say, well, come see me tonight. I'm on stage at the New York Improv. I went, oh, wow, that's an angle right there. I never thought of that. Mm. So, uh, you know, I took a, a comedy workshop in New York City, and I'll be quite honest with you, it's not as good as my workshop, but it got me on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and I did three minutes of comedy, and uh, I probably got one laugh, and that was a life changer. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is great. <laughs> I was addicted. And uh, But one thing led to another, doing all the open mics, the free performances in New York City, and it was tough to get on stage. It was tough to get into the good club. So since I was managing this restaurant, and there was no other comedy club within you know blocks of us, uh, my buddy and I decided, well, let's start our own comedy club. So on Friday, Saturday nights, we put up a stage, we put up a spotlight. Uh, for my music career, I had a microphone and a stand and a sound system. And we put it together. And I was uh, the MC every Friday, Saturday. And the comedians would flock there because any time you put up a microphone and a spotlight, comics are going to show up. So uh, it was a very popular club, and we were packing the place. Uh, we couldn't get people into the showroom. They had to sit out in the bar. We put a camera on the stage so they could watch the show on the TV at the bar. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was excellent. And I was performing a lot, but I was also booking the shows. And uh, after doing this for about six months, I went up to the uh, very famous and legendary original improv comedy club in New York City. Up, it was up on West 44th Street at that time in Hell's Kitchen. And um, just wanted to get my foot in the door. So I, I talked to the owner, Silver Friedman, and um, Silver Saunders now. I'm sorry, that's her name now. Um, and I got a job as a bartender on a Sunday night. She says, could you attend bar? I said, yeah. I thought, well, that's an inn. Okay, great. I got my foot in the door at the improv. I'll just hang around and pretty soon I'll get on stage. And this is where my business degree came in handy because after that first night, I was counting out and I turned to the money and I was exactly correct. And she looked at me like, <laughs> nobody, because they were all, you know, guys who were bartending were the wannabe comics. They didn't even know how to add, you know? And she's like, wow. Well, the assistant manager just left. She goes, would you like to be assistant manager? I said, sure. So I went back the next night and I was the assistant manager. And then about two weeks later, the manager left. And she turned to me and says, okay, you're the manager. And I said, great. And that made me the talent booker also. And the first thing I did was I booked myself. That is so great. What a, what a beautiful story. It's, it seems like, it sounds like, I mean, there was that opening and that angle that somebody shared about comedy that really started your uh, career in, in, in a whole other direction. And, and that is such an incredible story. So well, as I, you know, it's, it's all about networking. 
you know, a lot of this business is networking and who do you know and being at the right place at the right time. And that's what did it for me. But I will say how my career changed after that because as the manager of that club, I also became the talent booker. So I was scheduling all the comics for the shows. And it felt very awkward for me to schedule myself because, first of all, I wasn't as good. I mean, we had these were good acts. This was New York City, the improv. Come on. So I, they had a music spot. They always had a musician to open the shows, to do like three songs. So I started scheduling myself for some of those mm. sets just to keep me on stage. Uh, but I was having more fun booking these shows, scheduling the comics, like who should follow who. And, you know, when should this big name go on? And when should that big name go on? And then I started getting calls because the improv, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all. It was the number one club. In my mind, it still is, you know, mm -hmm. nationwide. And uh, But I was getting calls from The Tonight Show, from The Letterman Show, from Comedy Central, HBO, MTV, Showtime, Cinemax, you name it, The Today Show. They would all call because they want to showcase comedians. They have to, they want to go out and look at comedians that should be on their shows. So I was putting together showcases for them. I would find like 10 comics that I thought would be right for say the tonight show. And they would, the producers would come in where they, they would visit New York. They would come in and they would watch these 10 comics do like three minutes each. And they would pick one or two or however many to do the tonight show. And I really liked that. And it gave me like a regular, closest I've ever come to a regular job, okay, where I had regular hours and I was doing this. Hmm. And after, after a couple of few years in New York doing that, I moved to Hollywood. And I went to the Hollywood Improv with uh, Bud Friedman, who is the godfather of comedy. If people don't know who Bud Friedman is, they're not in the comedy industry. Uh, I became his assistant and also with him scheduled the shows and then uh, scheduled the TV show A&E's and Evening at the Improv. So by that time, I had an office, I had a computer, I had a phone, and I had regular hours. <laughs> I'm like, well, this is what I do. So my expertise is really behind the scenes. Now, that you know, is, a, yeah, that is fantastic. So was there a conscious decision or a choice that you made to move from New York City to Hollywood? Or was that just purely uh, out of uh, business opportunities? Or what drove you to uh, move from the East Coast to the West Coast? I was tired of being cold. <laughs> uh, quite frankly that was it i was just tired of being cold I, I don't like winters and i got there i said every year i kept saying i gotta go someplace warm I gotta, and finally one year i just said all right that's it I'm, I'm going for it i i knew a guy who managed my health club my gym where i worked out and he was moving out there he was driving i said you got room in the car and he says yeah so uh i sublet my apartment you know put some stuff all in storage, packed a couple suitcases, jumped in the car, and headed out to L.A. And again, the same thing. I didn't know anybody out there. Uh, I, I seem to have a habit of doing that in my life. Uh, I go out there, and I figure it out when I get there. Kind of schmooze, kind of network, kind of meet people, show up, talk. And uh, one thing led to another. Now, that is that is really inspiring. And what an incredible story, Dave. And I think our audiences here on this podcast are going to love uh, to listen to this show because, I mean, what you're sharing is actually the blueprint as to what does it take to succeed in this uh, competitive entertainment industry. And it's really as uh, what, what I'm hearing, uh, the through line from your sharing is the networking and hustling, literally like looking at opportunities that did not exist and then create one out of nowhere and I think that's what you seem to be a master at now I want to get into the other aspect of your life so you've been uh, 
a comedian, a talent uh, showcase agent, as well as a professional speaker. But there's another dimension to you, and that is you're also an author, and you've written uh, some best-selling books, including The Beatles at the Shea Stadium and The Beatles in Cleveland. How did you pronounce that? Beatles where? <laughs> Shea <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Cal. It's comedy. You've been a shop. You know how it works. Yes. <laughs> so, so tell us about that journey. How did you end up becoming an author? Uh, that is a big accomplishment for me in my head. I, I've always wanted to write, uh, even in um, as far back as I could remember, uh, writing record reviews when I was in junior high school. <laughs> you know, for a tournament for my papers and things like that. Um, how this developed was when I. When I came back to Cleveland, I came back here for family reasons. That's the only reason I left Hollywood. And I wound up staying here because I just, again, started something and I, I had to finish it. I became a college agent, uh, booking uh, performers for the college market, corporate market. And I started speaking. And then, uh, you know, and I was working still with the improvs. I'm still with the improv clubs. And they have one in Cleveland. So I was visiting some of the headlining comedians who came through, because I didn't know anyone out here anymore. I'd been gone for too long. So I would see who was headlining at one of the Cleveland clubs, and I would, I would show up, and of course I'd go backstage, and I'd be hanging out with them. And the local comics were always saying, well, who's that guy? Who's that guy hanging out with so-and-so? And they would say, well, that's Dave Schwenson. He was booking A&E's an evening at the Improv. He was the talent booker for the Improv Club in Hollywood. So they would come over to me, and they had all these questions. You know, hey, how do I get an agent? How do I get a manager? How do I get myself uh, bookings in, in good comedy clubs? You know, uh, all the questions. How do you get on television? What goes in a promotional package? They were asking me this. So I really decided I was going to – I would put together a workshop for the, for the local comics. If they're interested, I, I really planned on only doing it once. Um, you know, a, a few Saturdays, and then I would watch them perform. They could get up and, and do their act, and I could kind of critique it as I would have for evening at the improv, you know, what I was looking for. Or, and um, I did one, and you know what? I am, <laughs> I've been doing it for, you know, a long time. Uh, they just keep going and going and going. So not only do I do it now at the Cleveland improv, I also do them regularly at the Chicago improv. Uh, I've done them at the Tampa improv. And uh, coming up in January, we're going to Omaha. There's a funny bone out there. So Congratulations. That is such an incredible yeah. uh, journey there. Now, the other question that comes up for uh, me here is, uh, Dave, I know most of the people that we've interviewed on this podcast, um, they've been extremely successful at their profession. And one of the things that I've noticed is that they've encountered some setbacks and challenges along the way. And what's different that I've noticed is that they haven't looked at it as a failure or a setback, but in fact, they've just had a different perspective on it in the sense that they use that uh, setback as an opportunity for greater challenges. So my question to you is, what were one or two biggest challenges that you faced in your life or your career, and how did you overcome it, and what lessons have you learned from them that helped you navigate life going forward? Oh, you know, I would say, and I don't mean this in a bad way, just but because it was so different, moving back to the Midwest from working in New York City and Hollywood, which are really the entertainment meccas, capitals, whatever you want to call them here. Uh, when I moved back here, I just kind of expected the same high energy, you know, great entertainment industry. And I'm, and I'm going back, you know, years now. Uh, and I did not find it. I really found a lack of professionalism. Uh, and I found a different like mindset 
and I and I can't explain this as far as some of the comics go. I, again, my uh, expertise is behind the scenes. All right. If a corporation called me up and they have an entertainment banquet party coming up or a holiday party and they want me to, say, find a comedian for them, I can do it. I can find the right person to do that because I know the type of audience that's going to be there. For instance, and you're, you're a corporate speaker yourself. You know what I'm talking about. You get there and you have a wide range of people. You got maybe the newer people that are just out of college and gung-ho for their careers. You have some of the older ones that you know are there with their maybe uh, – straight-laced husband or straight-laced wife. They don't want to hear any, like, risque material, anything. You know what? I have found a lot, too. When I've talked to some of these people in the audience, a lot of them don't go to comedy clubs because they're afraid of being offended, okay? Mm. So, you know, and the comics I worked with in New York and L.A., they understood that. They knew what you could say on television, what you could not say on television. They knew what you could say at during an early show, at a comedy club where there might be a young couple there with mom and dad, you know, or somebody, you know, tourists. Mm. Okay. But then they also knew what they could say at a midnight show, you know, which is completely different. You got the 20 something sitting there, they're drinking and they want to hear some, you know, risque material. They could do that. And when I came away, when I moved away from those areas, uh, a lot of the comics did not understand that they, uh, you know, and I and I love all types of humor. Don't get me wrong. There's a market for everything, but there is also, as a talent booker, someone behind the scene. You have to know your audience. So I cannot send someone out to do, say, a corporate event, and they're going to do bathroom humor. Mm. Okay, it does not work. And in the beginning, when I came out here, that happened a couple times. And I just found it horrifying. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't. And I would talk, why did you say this? Why did you? Well, they, I got there and they said I could say anything I wanted. Well, no, you can't. Look at your audience. You know, you can't. you got to be smart. Uh, and, and so that's what I, you know, found the biggest challenge. And that's one of the things I do. I stress in my workshop. And I, do, I don't try to turn out a bunch of comedians that are like Barney the Dinosaur or G-rated. I'll work with anyone if they're a Christian comedian or if they're triple X, I don't care. But when I put them on stage at the improv during one of our showcases, I tell them, you know, you got people, I, I take people as young, not, you know, I get some teenagers in my workshop. Now we've, we've raised the age to 18 for a while. I had as young as 13, but I just, I don't do that now. I, I 18 seems to be good, but you know, their mom and dad will come see them and they'll want to bring in their say younger brother and sister or something like that. So I have those people in the audience. So I'm not going to put someone up on stage that's going to talk graphically about their sex life. Get over it. You can you come back, <laughs> do that at a different show. But I stress, you have to know your audience. And if you cannot do that, you know, if you're a Christian comedian, do not go on at a Midnight Blue show, which we, you know, I've also booked those. But if you're also, if you're an X-rated comic, you're not going to do the church circuit, okay? So that's what I stress. That was the biggest uh learning process out here but you know i'm going to go back a second cal i hope you don't mind because the question you asked me before this is about publishing my book yes my first book and things and i didn't really answer that because what i do want to say is as a writer and i, I when i came back here i got a job writing for uh, a newspaper and i started writing reviews uh for music and comedy and i also started writing humor columns i was in about five to seven newspapers around ohio writing my column but I think maybe in the days, well, I think my book was out when you took my workshop, my first book. But I used to give a handout in those workshops. People would have questions for me. For instance, how do I get an agent? All right, well, I'd come back and I would sit down and write, you know, how do you get an agent? 
what's the proper way to do this? Then I would come back in the next week, and that would be a handout that I'd give everyone in the workshop. And then the next time, someone would have a different question, so I kept asking these questions. It got to the point where I was handing out. My handout was like 127 pages. And I was, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I was going out to you know one of the places and, and copying this and you know putting it together and giving everyone this handout. And I just one day realized I had a book. This is a book. And then to get you know not just my point of view, I started interviewing the comedians I'd worked with to get their take on this. So that first book is called How to Be a Working Comic, and you know some of my wonderful comics. I, I love it. Adam Irera. You know, uh, I think Jeff Foxworthy's in that one. Ray Romano wrote the forward. Carrot Top. Mm. You know, there's people I'd worked with, and they were very kind and generous, you know, to give me their opinion in that. And so that became so I, 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 I wound up getting a, a literary agent, which is another, like, how to get an agent. Well, I had to do one myself. So I found a literary agent, and uh, she sold my book to a New York publisher, which was a real big deal, mm. you know, to be published like that. And it was a big company. Um, and, uh, yeah, it went into like five printings, how to be a working comic. And, uh, that was followed up by comedy FAQs and answers, which I looked at as a follow-up book, but we went with a different publisher in New York, which was nice. So then it took off after that. So now I have a total of like, uh, six books out. No, that is, that is incredible. And, uh, what a major accomplishment there. Uh, and then we'll include all the book links in our show notes here. And uh, these are highly recommended books. And spe- specifically, if you're looking to understand comedy and incorporate comedy in your speaking or just your everyday interactions, or I mean, this is such a invaluable and incredible guide that uh, Dave's uh, books are all about. So, so we'll definitely include that. And so essentially to recap your sharing, what, what I heard was moving back from New York and Hollywood back to the Midwest. I mean, the first experience that you had, uh, and I understand this was uh, many, many, many years ago, was... Oh, come lack- on, I'm not that old. <laughs> the lack of professionalism. And then, and then the other important point that you bring up, which is really key here, is regardless of how accomplished a speaker you are or a comedian you are, you need to know your audience because context is so decisive. It's, uh, you know, it could be, uh, it could still be like a great speaker, but if you don't watch and don't uh, resonate with your audience, the speech is going to go fall flat. And so that's really, and I want to get into that as we go forward as to like, you know, what, what makes good comedy, what makes a good speech. But my next question to you is, and just taking a walk down the memory lane here, David, uh, Dave. So, who were your mentors growing up, and did you uh, were there specific people, comedians that you looked uh, looked up to that you wanted to emulate, or what fascinated you about them? You know, I can't really uh, throw out one name because I'm so I change all the time. But when I was a little kid, you know, little, we'd watch television. You'd have lots of variety shows on then, you know, um, and they would have the stand-up comedians. They were all the old Borscht Belt guys. Uh, Jackie Vernon, Jackie Mason, uh, young George Carlin. He was doing the hippy-dippy weatherman, that kind of stuff. And, of course, we loved that. We, I, I loved that, but I also loved the music acts, you know. Uh, and, and, uh, but uh, yeah, I was just fascinated by the whole thing. But they made me laugh. And then, you know, we were kids, and even though he's got a bad name now, but the Bill Cosby albums, when those came out, we were in school, and, and everybody listened to, you know, Bill Cosby. <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me there. Um, so those were kind of my influences, and 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 then the uh, 
the movie comedy. I mean, I love the Marx Brothers. I mean, mm. they're just brilliant stuff, the Marx Brothers. I also like Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Those were old movies. I mean, those were all way before my time. But, you know, they were shown on repeats or, or uh, festivals when I was in college. I remember going to a Marx Brothers festival. I skipped a, I skipped class or something, and I was, there were like three people in this whole theater, and I sat there through like four or five Marx Brothers movies, and I'm going, this is just brilliant, you know? Uh, you know, and then uh, and a lot of my influences, though, came after I moved to New York City and pretty much got involved. Because, I mean, I went to comedy clubs as like a, a fan before I even started working in that business, you know, just for laughs. It was something you do in New York. You went out every night, whether you went to a movie or a comedy club or a music club, you know, it's in New York City. Uh, but really, when I started working with the comics at the improv, I mean, these were just, <laughs> I, I can't say enough good things about everyone I worked with. There wasn't a dud in the bunch, you know, mm. and uh, they were all great influences. I mean, I could see how they could go different ways with different things, different material, adult material, uh, younger material, whatever you call it, you know. Um, so, yeah, I can't. And people say, well, who's your favorite comic? It's usually the last one I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it changes like that much. No, that is that is absolutely uh, great. So that brings up another question. And this is, uh, you know, like, uh, let's say 20 years ago, uh, if we went to a comedy show, you know, you might have had little or no idea who you were seeing unless it was a comic whose work you were familiar with. Uh, but with the advent of technology and the internet, it takes no effort now to find out what a comedy comedian is all about. So my question to you is, besides technology, how has the art of comedy evolved in your opinion from the days of Richard Pryor to Jerry Seinfeld to Louis C.K. and Kevin Hart and Chris Rock? So what's, what's your take on that? Well, it's a live performance. I, I, I look at being live is preferable. As a matter of fact, I just did this in a recent newsletter I sent out uh, about showcasing and auditioning. And I said, you know, compare it to me. I always compare comedy to music. I just do. And I said, it's like watching your favorite band, okay? If you're classic rocker, the Rolling Stones. Okay, you can watch a Rolling Stones video and you think, okay, that's pretty good, you know. But then you go see them live and it's like, wow, this is tremendous. It's the same thing to me with comedy. I can watch these guys in their videos. We can watch Comedy Central and everything. It's cool. I enjoy it. It's entertaining. But when you go to a club, it's like that, uh, and you watch somebody live, it's like that on the edge of your seat kind of thing. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where they're going to go. You don't know how the audience is going to react. I mean, some of the funniest part of a comedy show is when the jokes don't work. <laughs> the comics got to struggle and come up with something, and the good ones can really do it. And it's just, it's a masterful show. So it's it's the live thing. So that's always been there. I mean, go back, you know, Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and everyone. I mean, it's it's the live excitement. That's what makes it exciting for me anyway. I think for most of the audiences would agree. No, I think that's, that's a really good point. And I think the other aspect as well is uh, with the uh, passage of time, I mean, the the topics that were taboos have changed and the public perception of issues has changed and, uh, you know, what comedians are allowed to joke about has changed. So uh, so I think those aspects also probably has played a factor in uh, the kind of humor that we see. And that brings up my next question to you is uh, the influence of Lenny Bruce, because I think uh, there is this... Um, uh, viewpoint, a point of view out there that says that prior to that, prior to Lenny Bruce, most humor, especially on TV, was clean. And uh, Lenny talked about subjects and used language that was considered obscene to a point, but now it's called adult humor. So my question to you is, do you think adult humor is necessary to be a successful comedian in today's day and age? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, 
I, I, like I said earlier, there is an audience for everything. And, you know, even comedians now, I mean, things are much looser on network television now than they were 30 years ago. You can say words now that you couldn't say then, but there are still words you cannot say. So if you want to be on network television during prime time, you can't drop the F-bomb. You know, you can't say these things. That's That hasn't changed. Um, so, you know, even though things have loosened up, for the for the comics, no, I don't know how I'm, I'm just explaining this. To be on these shows, you know, they still have to be able to know their audience. They have to be able to, you know, good comedy's always had innuendos. All right, I mean, go back to when I mentioned the Borscht Belt guys, okay? Jackie Vernon, Jackie Mason, these guys. Uh, the Smothers Brothers are my favorite example because I, I took my kids when they were younger to go see the Smothers Brothers. And when we, we were backstage with them and everything, then we went out and watched the show. <clears throat> and the stuff they're talking about on stage, the little kids are laughing because it was like smart guy against dumb guy. That's how they play it. But then my wife and I, you know, the older ones, we know there's all this, you know, anti-government innuendos, sexual innuendos. These, but they don't come out blatantly and say it. So to me, that's just genius stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. But you know, and again, uh, the markets are all changing. It depends on where what your audience is. So yeah. I, you know, I can't say that oh, comedy's gotten cleaner or it's gotten dirtier. No, no, it's it's again, if you're going to do a there are comics that do the, the church circuit. Well, I'll tell you what, they're clean. They're G-rated. There's comics who are out there in Las Vegas or on these you know, late night on the cruise ships you know, that do the midnight show. That's a perfect example. If you know comics that work on cruise ships, they do two different shows. They've got the dinner show, which is grandma's sitting there with the grandkids in the front row, and, and they have to do a 30-minute set. You better believe it's going to be squeaky clean or they're going to fly you off the ship. But later that same night, they'll go to a lounge and they'll do a show at 1130 or midnight for the adults, and it's going to be X-rated. It's the same comic, okay? But they are skilled enough, they have enough experience to know their audience, and they can write two different styles of acts. To me, that's a great example to do that. No, that is great. And I think uh, the sharing highlights the fact that know your audience and there is a market for all kinds of comedy. Now, that is a, such a great point. And that brings up uh, to another question, Dave. And this is uh, having seen the ebb and flow of life, the ups and downs of the entertainment and show business. And I'm curious to get your perspective now on what's your definition of a successful life or a good life? <laughs> I just read this by another comic. I can't think of his name, so I'm stealing this. It's being able to do what you love and pay your rent. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's great. it. Well, you know, because I know some comics that are very good, and they they don't want to sell out. They don't want to do, you know. I mean, I, 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 you know, in my workshops, and I talk about the business. In my books, I consider them to be business books. And and you know, say working in the corporate market, they can make a ton of money. I mean, a lot of times you'll see a comedy club advertising a comedian for a whole weekend, Thursday through Sunday, so-and-so's coming to town. Then like two or three weeks before, you see, oh, the show's been canceled. You know, we're going to reschedule them. And you're thinking, oh, God, I hope they're okay. I hope they're not sick. I hope nothing's wrong. Nah, nine times out of ten, they got a corporate show. It's going to pay them for one hour what they would have made for an entire weekend working in a comedy club. Uh, you know, but there are some comics who just refuse. Like, no, they really, uh, you know, I, I look at like Louis C.K. or Dave Attell. Sarah Silverman, you know, they stuck to their guns. They're going to talk about what they want to talk about, and they will find an audience, which they all have, okay? But some comics, again, you will think, well, you know, if I put on a suit and tie and I clean up my act, I can make a lot of money doing corporate shows. There's nothing wrong with that either. Yes, you can, okay? You could do cruise ships. You could do all these things. So, you know, what is success is what 
is being true to yourself. First of all, being true to yourself. You know, comedy for a lot of comics, the best comics, it's being honest. It's talking honestly how you feel about things. But it could be silly things, too. You know, it could be goofball stuff. But that's what you think about. And um, if it doesn't translate to, say, a corporate audience or a college audience, then you don't go there. You stick to what you want to do. No, so I, I, like, guess that's, yeah. I guess that's success. Success is doing what you want to do. I like that. That's a really an inspiring message here for our audience. I think being true to yourself, regardless of what kind of a profession you're in, uh, it's it's such a universal principle, and I think that can uh, that can really uh, be like a foundational uh, principle for anybody in any any area of life. So that's so great. Uh, and uh, I'm going to switch gears here, uh, Dave, and moving on to our next section. And these are some of the questions that we've uh, received from our audience. And uh, so the first question for you in this regard is, what stops people from achieving their full potential? And this is uh, just more of a generic question, not necessarily uh, related to comedy or acting, but just in life. What, what's been your opinion as to what stops people with incredible talent from achieving their uh, full potential? I used to accuse a few people of being afraid of success. And I can't put a definition behind that, but they were so good. They were so close, and they just didn't do it. Uh, they didn't have maybe the drive they needed, the the gumption to get up off the couch <laughs> and go out, you know. You know, I tell people at my workshops, I said, hey, you might have to turn off Dancing with the Stars and go to an open mic if you want to do this. Well, you have to do that. Uh so it, it really was uh, the ones who were more like um, walking out, like already acting like they were a success, but they hadn't done it. I don't know if that's answering your question correctly or not. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a fake yeah. until, you, uh, until you make it kind of. And having the, the the capability or the ability to go and network and hustle and until you make it happen, I think that's that's really... Uh, it's, also, it's also, you know, when I talk about the fear of success, I mean, some people just couldn't give up what they were doing uh again the comics that you mentioned before so i'll mention them again like louis ck uh dave attell uh i knew those guys when they were starting out in new york and they had it was their drive there was no drew carey okay these guys uh there was no backup plan mm. this was it this was it and so you know i know a lot of these guys were sleeping on couches and sleeping in cars uh, you know, maybe they pick up a temp job here or there or something, but you know, there was no, there was no turning back. And those are the ones, and there's no guarantee. I know people who were like that also, and they never made it. It's a cruel business. But, uh, you know, at the same time, the ones who looked at it as a hobby, oh yeah, I'm going to do some comedy and I'm going to have some drinks with my friends at the bar and then blah, blah, blah. No, you're not going anywhere. You know, the ones who they, I mean, these guys, they had to do it. There was no choice. And they got back up on stage the next night and the next night and the next night. They were rewriting and writing. And uh, I watched them. I, I watched those people develop. It was just, you know, excellent. To watch. You know, it's something I could talk about now because I saw it happen. No, that is so great. It's it's really the metaphor of burning your bridges. It's, there's no going back. There's no plan B. It's uh, going going for one and one, one thing only. And that's such a driving driving factor i mean that's that's absolutely incredible the next question is uh and this is more of a hypothetical question if you if you had to go back in time dave and uh talk to your young self before starting in this uh, show business entertainment world what advice would you give him 
<laughs> uh, practice your guitar more. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's a wild question. I can't, uh, I, I've said things over the years, oh, I should have done this or shouldn't have done that. Or, but you know what? It is what it is. I can't look back and change anything. Um, you know, again, my first interest, really, when I first went to New York, was acting and music. And then I, comedy is something I fell in love with. It wasn't even a, there were, I didn't know a stand-up comedian when I grew up. You know, I didn't know anybody in person who did that. So that was a real life changer when I got involved in that world. But, um, you know, I, I just can't answer that. I mean, because I took a shot. I took a chance. There was nothing else. What else? What was my other shot? Stay here? That wasn't going to happen. So I did what I had to do. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's a good point. And so, and I, you know, you offer comedy workshops as we talked about earlier in Cleveland, Chicago, and Tampa, as well as now. Did you say it was it Oklahoma? We're, Omaha. We're going to Omaha, Omaha okay. at, the, at the Funny Bone in January. We're, we're put, looking at putting that one together. And I've done them in New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco, New Orleans, different places. So here's a question that's uh, been kind of like. Uh, I'm curious about is, so what are some of the biggest mistakes, in your opinion, that new comedians make? And any tips and any suggestions for some of the comedy uh, folks listening to this podcast? Well, they think of it as being like an overnight thing. They're going to they're gonna bypass the learning process and just be brilliant right away. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I had people, they, they think they're going to do comedy for six months and they're going to get a sitcom. And, uh, you know, I just I just shake my head. No, you, you can't uh, you, you cannot skip the hard work process, the trial and error, the failing and the success failure. The, when you fail in comedy, you learn something from it. That's how you get to be successful. You talk to any of the successful comics. I mean, there are wonderful books out there. And, you know, even some stories of my books from these very successful comics who just uh, bombed horribly when they first started i mean it was like you know they can't do this how they can't do this but they have to do it so i do find that misperception that some people think they're going to skip the process and be an overnight success even one of my my stories that i, I do tell in the workshop um many years ago <clears throat> excuse me i uh, i scheduled david dave chappelle to do evening at the improv and he was very young at the time. And I just met him. He did an audition through his agent, his manager at the time. And uh, I, that years later, after he had his TV show, The Chappelle Show and stuff, I saw him. Uh, he came through and he was on his tour bus. And I went and banged on the door or something. He let me and we were laughing. And I said, yeah, I said he was like an overnight success. Because he'd only been like 18 or 20 or something like that. did the show. I said, ah, oh, you were like an overnight success. And no, he wasn't. He started when he was 14. His wow. mother used to... His mother used to drive him around to the open mics. He told me that he was too young to get in just to do his comedy set. So he already had years of experience before anyone noticed him. Uh, and, and that's the truth. It really is the truth. Most of the comics I talked to, the big goal when I worked in Hollywood, of course, was to be on The Tonight Show. And I would ask all of them when I was writing my books, when I interviewed all the comics, you know, how long did it take you to get on The Tonight Show? And I can't think of anyone that said less than 10 years. Wow. You know, it, it, Wow. Yeah, that's a long time. That's a decade. And it's that's... a decade. Yeah, but it was steady. It was getting up, doing this, doing this, rewriting, writing material, getting up, performing in front of an audience. What works? What doesn't work? Go back again and do it. Knowing your audience, all that stuff. Hmm. It's experience. You can't shortcut experience. No, indeed, that's a very good point. And uh, getting into this, uh, the craft of comedy here. There's one question that we've uh, received from our audience, and that is about. 
you know, if, is there like in, uh, can you provide an outline on the most effective way to develop stand-up comedy material? Uh, no, 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 there's no formula. That's the one thing I, <clears throat> I don't say I argue against it and stuff. I know there's books out there, there's people out there that promote, like, here's a formula, here's how to write comedy. My theory on that is if you follow that, you're just a clone of that person. Mm. And I'm not, you know, the comedy world does not need a bunch of, we already have Jerry Seinfeld. You know, we, we, we don't need another. We already have Sarah Silverman. We don't need another one. Okay, so what's your own personal take on this? And you know from working with me how I developed that. You know, it's, it's, there's no, you know, some comics, you know, I, I worked with Rodney Dangerfield, and everything was three lines, okay? Opening line, middle line, punch line. And then, but you got these people that like Ray Romano or, or, or you know, Bobby Collins, some of these people, they, Rondell Sheridan, they tell these wonderful stories, and they're funny all the way through. There's no formula for that. You know, you develop that talent. Absolutely, and it's it's about being an original because if you try to clone somebody, what's what's the point of having two of you, right? And the other person exactly. is needed. And uh, no, I think I remember that takeaway from your workshop, and you absolutely insist on originality, and uh, and I remember. Uh, also, the fact that you always underlined in your workshop is to never, never steal somebody else's material. No, never. And that's just not done. And uh, and that's that's another good point to kind of like uh, highlight here. Uh, <clears throat> now, the other question that comes up is, uh, and this is in the realm of professional speaking. I know you're a trainer and a keynote speaker, and you also coach other people uh, doing professional speaking. And yes. I want to kind of tie that back to uh, your original point that we talked about. It is about knowing your audience. So my question to you is, what are some of the key factors that one could take into account uh, when writing an impactful speech or understanding who your audience is and really some pro tips of delivering a good presentation? Well, first of all, I believe that if you're going to do any kind of a training or keynote speech or something like that, you have to be an expert on the topic. All right. Uh, I, I've gotten calls from speakers that want to help me, have me help them, coach them to write a speech, but it's nothing they they do. They don't know anything about it. So, you know, when I, even like as myself as an example, when I talk about uh, communication training, well, basically I'm running a comedy workshop. I'm opening up telling people how to make a first impression, how to break the ice, and using humor to do it. I'm not going to come in and say, oh, I'm some big speech therapist or something like that. No, I'm not. I'm a comedy coach. Uh, and then you find out what the event is for. What is maybe the theme? What, what is the group? Know your audience. Again, know your audience. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. A lot of times I'll, you know, I'll send out a questionnaire. Who, who am I speaking to? Or I just, you know, I'll talk to the person who scheduled me. And what's this event for? Um, what do you want to, you know, what do you want to get from it? I may not be right for your event. I turn down things. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be right for that. They're going to hate me, <laughs> you know, but there's other times I'm like, you need me. Um, so really is it's talking about a, something, you know, something, I mean, you could be an accountant and you want to go out and talk to people about how to handle money accountant. Great. That's your topic. That's what you do. Don't go out and talk about writing a science fiction book, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. clears throat> that, to me, that's what it's all about. So even the comics that I've worked with that have broken into the speaking part of it, they talk about things that has affected them or they've overcome. For instance, like, you know, a lot of them go out and talk about like alcoholism or, you know, you know, drug addictions, things like that, you know, abuse or whatever, but they've gone through it. 
and now they talk about it. They share what their experiences. They share possibly a solution. And the great thing about that is because they are comedians, they can make it funny. They can make it humorous when it needs to be. Mm, absolutely. No. no, that's that's such a brilliant point there. And then uh, the other question that comes up here is any. Uh, I mean, what what are some of your uh, books that you've gifted or reread over the years when it comes to speaking or just writing or anything that uh, you would highly recommend for our audience? Anything that comes to mind? Uh, no. Besides your own books? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to mention my own books. Uh, you know, I'm very much like you. I mean, you know, I follow you on social media. I know you see me out there. Uh, I read a lot. I, 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 you know, I, I read like, you know, different you know, speaking websites or comedy websites or, or you know, blogs, things like that. I, I try to pick up information that way. I, 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 I I'm a avid reader, but I, I don't read like those kind of books that you're, you want to mention. I read biographies. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm interested in people, show business people, how they got to where they are, their experiences. That stuff fascinates me. So I love that. I like to watch documentaries. Um, but as far as like a book you know no no i mean my book i consider my books to be business books by the way how to be a working comic is a business book uh yes there is a section about writing comedy but that comes from the comedians i interviewed they share their experiences but me as a behind the scenes guy i talk about the business side how to promote how to network how to do this and that business stuff contracts you know um but yeah i i can't honestly sit here and say well here's a book i recommend i, I can't there's not one yeah, and what I'm what I'm gathering is, I mean, you draw your material from different sources. It's not one specific area of life. I mean, you really uh, tune into different dimensions of life, if you will, and that really uh, uh, gives you kind of like this amazing material to work with, and that's uh, that's really uh, brilliant. And again, people have different styles, uh, but I think uh, having this eclectic background that you've had definitely gives you that uh, uh, edge, if you will, in terms of. Uh, uh, you know, in your coaching and your speaking, and that's why you know people rave about your workshops, and that's so yeah. <laughs> Thank I, you. I, at least I do, I and mean, I've recommended that to many people. Well, that's one. Okay, I got one. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, that is great. Now, uh, moving on to our next section, uh, Dave, and this is the rapid fire round. In the interest of time, we may just do a handful of this. And uh, basically, I'm going to ask you a bunch of fun questions, and it's the first response that comes to your mind. And of course, if you uh, want to elaborate on it. Feel free to do so, but again, this is the rapid-fire round. So are you ready, Dave? Yeah, I'm all set. I got my thinking cap on. I'm sitting in the isolation booth. Let's go. All right. So you mentioned you were a musician. So what's your favorite music band? The Beatles. Uh, I, I should have guessed that. Yeah, what's you should have. Come on. <laughs> uh, whose brain would you like to pick? Elvis. Mm. Do you believe in magic? Yes. The five most important things in life, according to you? Love, peace, happiness, family, laughter. I love that. That's beautiful. If you could have witnessed one event in history, what would that be? The Beatles at Shea Stadium. Mm. And then the final question within the rapid fire round, and that is if you could have any message... Of your choice on a billboard, what would that be? Be kind. Hmm. Like that. <laughs> <And that's... laughs> you want more? Be kind. 
laugh a lot. Oh, yes, that's that's uh, awesome. All right, so moving on to our final section. This is the wrap-up section, and uh, I just have last three questions for you in the interest of time, and that is, what is your current personal or business passion project that you're uh, working on? What are you looking forward to in the next six months to a year? Well, it's, you know, it's me. I wear two different hats as far as careers go. You know, my comedy coaching is ongoing, continuous. I don't know. I'll do it as long as I can laugh. Uh, so like I said, we are moving into different areas with that. We're, we're talking about Omaha in January and I continue, uh, you know, Cleveland and Chicago and, and, um, you know, my speaking along that line, corporate speaking and training and private coaching, uh, it's, it's what I love to do. It's, it's something I'm good at. Uh, but also, uh, you know, as you well know, as you should tell from my last answer, the Beatles at Shea Stadium, I've written two books on the Beatles, uh, which has been my personal passion, I guess. Uh, books that I, the first one called The Beatles in Cleveland is something I, I really wrote for myself uh, as a music fan, as a fan of the Beatles. And uh, I did see the Beatles in concert. I saw them in Cleveland. My parents took me. <laughs> and uh, so after I'd had three comedy books published, I, again, as a writer, I'm always writing. I, I don't watch television. I'll turn off the TV and write. I write three different blogs. Um, but I put together this book for myself, and I won't get into all the details because it was a long process. But, um, I followed it up because of a demand, I guess. I was encouraged to write the book The Beatles at Shea Stadium, which involved a lot of you know research for the 60s and, and the, the people who were there, people who worked with them, put it all together. And it really has taken off as a second career uh, where I do a lot of uh, speaking live performances. I mean, it's, it's a show. What I do is a show. Uh, I'm not an author that's going to stand behind a lectern and talk and show slides. When you come see me, and I've done it for a lot of the Beatle festivals around the countries. I do a lot of libraries. I do senior homes. I do private events. Uh, it's a show. It's, it's, I'm using my comedy background. It's my chance to perform. So there's a lot of humor involved, uh, but there's a lot of facts. It's a lot of fun. And I show concert films of the Beatles, rare, very rare films that people have not seen. And to me... I'm having a blast. I mean, right now, it's, we're, we're talking here. I don't know if you want to keep this evergreen or not, but we're, you know, I've, I've booked uh, nine months from now. I have bookings uh, for this. So my comedy friends, when they got wind of this, you know, years ago when the books first started coming out, they're like, what the heck are you doing? Dave, where did this book on the Beatles come from? I'm like, eh. <laughs> you know, they, they couldn't understand it because I'm known for my how to be a working comic book. But I have gotten calls from comics, which is very funny, where they've gone over to someone else's house, and they look, and they see a book, and they say, oh, wow, the Beatles at Cleveland. And they go, Dave Schwanson. <laughs> you know, wait a minute, I know this guy. Uh, or a couple don't put the two together. It's like, wait a minute, Dave, you wrote this book? I have this book, but you're the comedy guy. Uh, and, you know, so it's funny for me. It's been a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, I, I just keep doing Those are my uh, performing uh, – gets my – Gets that out of my system, I guess. But I love to do it, you know. So I'm, I'm doing shows. Great. Every week. That's that's yeah. great. And then uh, we'll include all that information in our show notes. Uh, is there? Are you on the social media? I know you're on Facebook, but is there a specific uh, social media that you actually frequent quite a bit uh, besides Facebook? Uh, I do Facebook. I do LinkedIn. I do Google, and I do Twitter. Okay. And we'll include all of that in our show notes uh, for the benefit of the audience. And then you can always go to. Uh, uh, Dave's uh, website, uh, which is uh, the dot com. dot com. But you know, I also 
Cal, I do want to interrupt and say, because I do have like two separate careers. So when you look for me on Facebook, I have two separate Facebook uh, personas. I have the comedy guy, which is Dave Schwenson, but also the Beatles author, pop culture guy is David Schwenson. Mm. (laughs) I know it's complicated, (laughs) but I do my best to keep them separate. And it's the same thing on LinkedIn, the same thing on Google, and the same thing on Twitter. I have very separate... Some people don't know I do the other thing. Some people that know me as a Beatles author have no idea that I'm a comedy coach. And the people that have know me as a comedy coach have no idea that I've written two books on the Beatles. Well, now they know. <laughs> yeah, now they know. So, But yes, I am involved quite a bit in social media. And, and uh, you know, I uh, have a lot of people I'm in touch with, a lot of people I work with. And yeah, you can always find me out there. So anyway, my, I would say my, my one website is the comedybook.com if you're interested in comedy coaching speaking that sort of thing comedy workshops but my other site is beatles program p-r-o-g-r-a-m beatles program and you go on there and you can see all the information about my beatles books my uh schedule calendar coming up my personal appearances all that kind of stuff no that's great and we'll include all of that in the show notes here the next question is uh, what are three things you're grateful for in life today my family uh, my experiences I've had in my life, couldn't trade them for anything. And um, the fact that I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> I lived through all that nonsense in New York and Hollywood, for crying out loud. <laughs> we were pretty wild for a while. No, that is so great. Uh, so, uh, Dave, I want to acknowledge you for a few things here. One is, what an incredible journey you've had. I mean, uh, you know... A, kid from Ohio who dreamt about show business and actually took the actions. You know, a lot of people just dream, but they don't follow through on that. But you, in fact, took those actions. You went to New York City without having any connections out there and figuring it out all on your own, leasing and renting an apartment and then uh, sticking around there for 13 solid years and then getting into comedy and like really literally creating and carving a career for yourself as a uh, showcase agent and a talent agent and then taking that into a whole other dimension of uh, stand-up comedy and comedy workshops and uh, and what incredible uh, authorship and writing and now being a professional speaker and trainer and uh, you know teaching comedy workshops it's it's really a remarkable career from many many dimensions i mean it just is uh, incredible what you've accomplished and i think the most important thing that i find very uh, inspiring about you is the fact that you know, there are very few people who are true to themselves in this show business. And you're one of them who has maintained that honesty when it comes to the craft. And I really want to acknowledge you for that because that is so inspiring uh, to see somebody uh, day in and day out being so passionate about their craft. And uh, you are definitely an example of that. So thank you for all uh, that you do and this amazing uh, laughter that you bring to our lives. Well, thank you, Cal. That's very nice. I'm almost in tears. Not <laughs> <laughs> no, that is great. Uh, and then, uh, the, is there? This was. This has been really excellent. Is there anything else that I may not have asked you that you would like to share? No, I think we covered it all. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Great. And then I have one final question, and this is how we wrap up all our <clears throat> interviews, Dave. And that is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? Well, for the experience that people have, it's all about sharing experience. We talked about this earlier, you know, networking, who you know, but also learning from other people's not only success, 
but also from failure. Okay, so it's it's like when I say when the comedians put together their comedy shows, you know, it's it's not only that it's not that they've had a successful performance every time and it's led up to this. They've probably had more unsuccessful performances and they learned from that. They learned not to do this or not to do that. Uh, so I think that's the value of this. You know, you're talking to people from all wide range of people. And everyone has their experiences, their life experiences, and you learn from that. It's like you learn from your elders. Come on, you know you're 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 an idiot if you don't. It, you know, if somebody tells you, hey, it's it hurts to jump off that cliff, so don't do it. Then you jump off the cliff anyway, and it hurts. Well, duh, they just told you. So you know, learn from <laughs> learn from experience. No, that is so great, and I appreciate the feedback there. So again, thank you for taking the time to be on this uh, show and sharing your uh, experiences and wisdom with our audience. I uh, truly valued our conversation, and with that. We'll wrap up. And for those of us who are listening, if you like what you heard, please share. Don't be shy. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Cal Aras. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, theglobalcontribution.com. To your friends and colleagues, be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous episodes. This has been a Seven Symphonies production. Join us next time for another edition of the Wisdom of Friends.